We have been in Romans chapter 8 for the last six or seven weeks, and uh, we're landing the plane today. We, we wrapped up last week, Kenny did a phenomenal job by uh, wrapping us up, closing us in Romans chapter 8. And so today, it's just basically a recap. Uh, it's a, a time for us to look back and, and to, to remind ourselves of what we've gone through, but at the same time to celebrate as well, to celebrate all that God has done in us and through us, and then to go, God wants to do more for us because God is for us. This is something that we had on repeat, and you're going to hear it over and over again uh, this morning, that God is for us. For those who are in Christ, God is for us, and so that should lead us to celebrate. And so we're going to have baptisms, uh, we're going to hear testimonies, it's going to be incredible, and it's going to you know, change, and the tone will go up and down, and, um, but my hope is that you would be a part of this journey, that, that God would do something incredible in you as he does something incredible uh, in us. All right, um, and so I'm going to pray real brief, real, real brief, and then we're going to jump straight in. All right, you guys ready? Cool. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's rich, uh, that it continues to transform us. Uh, and so, God, would you do a work that only you can do as we look back into Romans chapter 8. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Permit me to start by asking a question. How safe do you feel living under grace? How safe do you feel living under grace? How sure of the future does it make you? A huge uh, worry for many of us, uh, a grand and uh, uncertainty for us is of the future. And so uh, how sure of the future does grace make you feel? To entrust ourselves to the free grace of God in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit can feel like falling backwards into the arms of a friend who may or may not be there. And if they are there, they may or may not catch us. At least that's what it feels like for me. See, these kinds of, this kind of experience often leaves us wondering, is it safe to entrust ourselves entirely to the God of grace? If we were honest with ourselves, I know that we would say, hey, listen, I ask that question every now and then. And we feel this, this intensely, this wondering, is it okay for me to put my trust completely in God's grace? We feel this intensely when two things happen. One is when we fail and find ourselves living in unrepented sin from within. When we recognize that, listen, I'm, I'm living a life that I shouldn't be. And I can't, can't get out of this. I find myself running back to, to these, these things that do not please God. That's the, the kind of the, the first place where we tend to feel this way. The second is when we are afflicted by suffering from outside. When suffering knocks on our doors, and sometimes it feels like it's not knocking, it just barges in. It's in those moments of suffering where we wonder, can I, can I fully put myself in the hands of God's grace? See, both of these experiences threaten our confidence that grace works. Just as the person falling backwards is tempted to move a foot back to save themselves, so we are tempted to add a, a, a dose of self-reliance to our Christian lives. It's, I'm going to trust, but, but, but I'm going I'm to add a little bit of my own wisdom. I'm going to trust, but I'm going to add a little bit of my own strength. And not to completely fall back in the arms of God. 
See, but if we hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful, Hebrews 10, verse 23, and anchor ourselves in the words of Romans 8, then our momentary affliction will find its place in light of our eternal weight of glory that awaits us. But because we are forgetful people, because we are forgetful people, let us recap on Romans 8. See, Romans 8 begins with no condemnation by the wrath of God. We see this in verse 1. And then it ends with no separation from the love of God in Christ. We see this in verse 39. See, the overarching, all-encompassing, central theme in this chapter is assurance. Assurance. And sandwiched between no condemnation and no separation are two other amazing themes. The first, primarily found in verses 1 to 17 of Romans 8, is that there is life in the Spirit. There is life in the Spirit who is named 15 times in verses 1 to 17, and then four more times in the rest of the chapter. But the second thing that's sandwiched in between no condemnation and no separation is suffering. Suffering. We see this in verse 17 to 39. That we are called to suffer. That we will suffer. That if you are a Christian, this side of heaven, if you've given your life to Jesus, you will suffer. Paul writes in verse 17 of Romans 8. He says, if, if we say that we are children, if we say that we are heirs, then indeed we will share in Christ's sufferings. Suffering is real. And no one can escape it. Especially the children of God. Especially the children of God. But I love how even our suffering, our momentary suffering, is sandwiched in between no condemnation and no separation. And so the assurance that we should have. But permit me to double-click on all of this. I think maybe we, we, we sometimes too often uh, go too quickly through these verses and don't sit in them and allow them to do the work that they can only do. And so let's slow things down as we recap. You see, in chapter 7, Paul described the dilemma of a man who becomes a prisoner of the law. In the last few verses of chapter 7, Paul makes the reference to the hope of liberation made possible by God through Jesus Christ. He sets the tone. He says, listen, uh, that we are prisoners of the law when we're, we're trying to uh, live a life that is pleasing to God on our own. We cannot do it. And so we feel like prisoners of the law. But then he says, but there is hope. Before I jump to chapter 8, there is hope. And so in chapter 8, Paul amplifies on the freedom from sin that is found in Christ. He, he sets it up in, at the end of Romans chapter 7, but then he amplifies it in Romans chapter 8. And he does so in four ways. He amplifies the freedom that we find in Christ in four ways. First, he says, for those in Christ who are walking according to the Spirit, there is no condemnation for sin. For the death of Christ 
For sin has set us free from the law of sin and death by fulfilling the requirement of the law. We see this in verses 1 to 4. In summary, he says, for those in Christ, there is no condemnation. For those in Christ, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. But why do I keep repeating this? Oh no, why can't we just move along? You've said it once, let's move along. But, but the, the problem is, hear me friends, the problem is that we are forgetful. And so I repeat it because the devil knows. He knows that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He knows that there is no separation. And so you, you, once you're in the hands of God, you cannot be removed. He knows that. But what he will try to do is steal joy from you. And so he reminds you of guilt and shame. He tells you over and over again that you're a failure, that you're not good enough. And so you end up finding yourself going, well, maybe, maybe I am condemned then. Maybe what he is saying, his lies, maybe they are true. Maybe I am condemned. And so we have to say it over and over again. You have to say it over and over again to yourself. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Our lives have to scream this from the mountaintops. Not only for ourselves, but so that others might hear this and be reminded of God's love and grace. And so to be reminded, I'm going to ask Roxanne to come up and share just a, a brief testimony. A brief testimony of what God has done in her life in this last season, in these last few weeks. A reminder that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Good morning, everybody. Is it on? Sorry, I can't hear myself. Um, so for most of my life, I have felt ashamed about my weight and what my body looks like. Despite knowing that many, many other people struggle with this, I've kept this shame inside and very rarely spoken about it. This led to a lifestyle of eating, feeling guilty, eating again to feel better, but feeling more guilt. As time went on and I learned more and more what it means to live like a Christian, I knew that overindulging in sugary things and treats to make myself feel better was not glorifying God because I was not treating my body as a real temple of the Holy Spirit and it became idolatry. The realization that my exercise and eating decisions meant that I was not truly appreciating the good gift God gave me in my body made me feel even more guilt. This year, the guilt mounted to a really high point through our city group, D group, and brothers and sisters at this church. Um, sorry. God has taught me more about community. I knew that I no longer had to keep this inside. First, I opened up more fully about this internal struggle to my husband. And of course, he showed only love to me. He didn't add to my shame. 
but showed me the grace of Christ in loving me as I am, but acknowledging that something needs to change. He could see that I was frustrated and that I have a desire to make decisions that glorify God with my body. He knew that I didn't want to lose weight or eat healthily to be more sexy for him or to please him. He knew that I wanted my priority to be for Jesus. I also then started to share more of this internal struggle with others here. I told my parents, which was a big step. My mom knew that I'd struggled in some way, but not to the full extent that I've described. She's very healthy and disciplined, and my selfish mind thought that in some way I was letting her down by not following her example. Of course, she only showed me love. Then God hit me with Romans. A few weeks ago, Ani was preaching on Romans 8, 31 to 39. And he declared that sometimes we need to be punched in the face with God's grace. And that is what God has been so kindly doing for me. Before I knew that the Roman series at Rooted was starting, Carl and I received our wedding video, and we watched it on a Saturday. We listened to the sermon, which on the day you don't really take much in from, and it was Romans 8, 28 to 39. We were very encouraged. I had also been working through a verse in Romans, which I'd read somewhere completely out of context, and so I worked through some look at the book videos by John Piper on Romans. I was blown away. And that Sunday, of course, Romans, the Romans 8 series began at church. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is how it began. One paused and asked, if you are Christian, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that there is now no condemnation for those in Christ? I sat in church and could honestly answer straight away, no. The way that I've been thinking and living so caught up in my guilt showed me that I don't truly believe Romans 8 verse 1. I started to realize that my guilt could be a good thing. Guilt leads us to repentance and a change in lifestyle. But I was so caught up in the guilt part that I had stagnated. This, along with having shared more and more about it, was the beginning of being liberated from that guilt. And we are feeble as humans, so God repeats stuff for us, which Anna has already said this morning. A few weeks ago, we were doing Romans 8, 31 to 39 at church. I was reminded of how God has done so much for me already. He gave up Jesus so that I could be saved. So of course he will provide everything I need to worship him with my body. That doesn't mean that it would be easy, but he will provide for my needs. The very next day, I had a very bad day at work and my sister had contacted me to ask me something. And I replied and told her that life for Carl and I had been quite tough lately. 
She replied, and I was lying on my bed and listening to her voice note. And it began with, I was so sorry to hear about what's happening, and I just wanted to encourage you with something I was encouraged by on Sunday in Durban. Okay, she's in Durban. We are working through, and I knew what was coming next. My face planted onto the bed as she said, a series in Romans 8. (laughs) And she proceeded to read me the exact verses I had been awed by the previous day at church. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has so graciously been punching me in the face with grace, with his truths and promises. And he has also broken my pride and selfishness in thinking that I must conquer this problem on my own. But we are not designed to do things on our own. So the fact that my parents gave me a gift in paying for a trainer is grace from God as well. He has shown me his love through my husband and through this community. Just the other day, a friend asked me, how's your eating going? And I'm so grateful to be on this journey. Despite the pain and difficulty, it's the best journey to be on. So, all glory to God. If I could sum up what Roxanne just shared. it's, it's this, that when the accuser comes and lashes out at us, when he says that you are guilty, that you are not worthy, when he, when he cries out to us that we, we are not worth anything, it's in those moments that we can say to him and to any other person who he uses and go, no, 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 I know who I am because I know whom I belong to. I know who I am because I know whom I belong to. That I am a child of God and He loves me. He loves me. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So that's the first thing that Paul does to amplify this freedom from sin that we find in Christ. The second thing he does is by setting our minds on the things on the spirit and not the flesh. That we're able to enjoy life in peace and we're able to do the things that please God. He talks about this in verses 5 to 8. Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit have their mindset on things of the Spirit. That a person's worldview, worldview, their point of reference for how they see everything, determines many other things in their life. And so, who you are. 
what you do, what motivates you, what you consider to be your source of knowledge and authority, your value system, how you view the events and trials of your life. Everything, everything is dependent on whether you are walking according to the Spirit or walking according to the flesh. The person who lives by the Spirit has a kingdom worldview where God is the creator and the ruler of everything. And because he is the ruler and creator of everything, what he says goes. A person with a kingdom worldview seeks to do what God tells them to do. They are motivated by the desire to glorify God. They view the Bible as their authority and manual for all of life. Their values are God's values. And they view things from God's perspective. They see God seated on his throne, fully in control. And I remember, Paul is amplifying our freedom from sin that is found in Christ. No condemnation, and then saying, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. But then thirdly, we are told, because of our new freedom in Christ, we now enjoy the indwelling of the Spirit of God, by whom we can put to death the deeds of the body and enjoy both present and future blessings as the children of God. We see this in verse 9 to 17. To put it plainly, we are adopted into the family of God, and God becomes our Father. We're adopted into the family of God. That the blessings of being God's children are expanded upon in the rest of this chapter. Paul goes over, over them, over and over again, unpacking them and explaining them. Because it's such a beautiful truth to understand that if you are a Christian, you've been adopted into the family of God. That God has chosen you. In spite of your sin, he has chosen you. Our present sufferings mean nothing in view of our ultimate redemption and revealing for which we eagerly and patiently await. We have the privilege of the Holy Spirit and Jesus interceding for us when we pray, which assures us that all things work together for the good of those called according to God's purpose. We are His children. Paul unpacks this in Romans chapter 8 and says, you are his children. You have a seat at the table and your father listens to you. He knows you by name. He knows your situation in every single detail that nothing takes him by surprise. You are his children. And baptisms, baptisms declare this loud and proud. This is why we do baptisms. It's a declaration, a public declaration of what's already happened inside. See, if the meaning of baptism could be boiled down to one word, that word would be identification. It's saying God is my daddy, he's my papa, he's my father. And I am his child. Baptism speaks primarily of a, a, a personal and public identification with Jesus Christ. And because of that identification, because I am now co-heirs with Christ, God is my Father. And in the same way he looked at Jesus at his baptism, God the Father now looks at me. And anyone who steps into the baptism waters, 
He looks at you and he says, you are my child with whom I am well pleased. You are my child with whom I am well pleased. Not because of anything I have done, but because of everything Jesus has done. And so how important is your baptism? It is your personal identification with the greatest act of human history. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't save you. I must make this clear. Salvation comes from faith and faith alone. But your guilt and shame and condemnation before God is removed the moment you trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And so baptism is your public testimony of what has already happened internally. And so in summary, I would say this about baptism. Baptism means you have turned from the old life of sin to a new life in Jesus Christ. It means you are publicly identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It means we are openly joining the community of those who believe in Christ to know and love others as you, as you are being known and loved by the fellowship. That you are now part of the family. You're going, I'm in. I'm in. I'm a child of God, and He is my Father. And so when you are baptized, as we will see in a moment, this is a visible, visible, very visible preaching of the gospel. As they stand in the waters, or as they sit in the waters and are about to be baptized, they symbolize Jesus dying on the cross as they are lowered into the water. They symbolize Jesus being buried in the tomb. And then as they are raised from the water, they symbolize Jesus being raised from the dead. That is the gospel, friends. The gospel made personal in the lives of individuals. God loves us more than we could ever imagine. Um, Paul writes this in Romans. He unpacks it even more in Romans 8. That we are loved God sends His Son to die for us because He loves us. And that ultimately all of this glorifies Him. That we are His children. No condemnation. That we are to set our minds on the Spirit so that we might walk in a manner that pleases God. And we might declare to the world that we are his children, regardless of the challenges that we face, that we are his children. Those are the three things that, that Paul uses to amplify the freedom that is found in Christ. Now to land the plane, I'll give you the fourth and final. And that is, as God's elect, we have the assurance. Remember, we started with this. And so we end with this, that we have the assurance that nothing can tear us away from God's love. And that in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. See this in verses 31 to 39. And so to summarize all of this, uh, that no condemnation, no separation, and everything that is sandwiched in between, to summarize it all, I would say these three things, these three things that you would walk away with. And that is, we are to appreciate the place of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. To acknowledge it 
and to appreciate it. The place of the Holy Spirit, His presence and power and provision in our lives. The second thing is that we are to notice that we have the power to overcome sin, which is made available in Christ Jesus. And we don't have to sit in our sin and go, there's nothing that I can do and, and feel hopeless. No, that we have been given power in Christ to overcome our sin. And then lastly, we are to realize, we're to realize the extent of God's love towards us. We are to realize the extent of God's love towards us. And that is God is for us. God is for us. We wrap up our sermon series in the book of Romans, looking at chapter 8, by simply saying this should be on repeat. That all of this should be on repeat. It should be like your favorite soundtrack, but this should be the soundtrack of your life. No condemnation. No separation. And all of God's goodness sandwiched in between. And so God, we come with thankful hearts, with hearts that know that we are loved, with hearts that know that we can come to you, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, knowing that you hear us and that you are willing to meet us where we are. That we don't need to come with excuses and reasons. That we can just simply come and say, Father, we need you. We have fallen short, but because of your grace, you are quick to forgive us. And it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And so let us embrace that kindness. What a joy it has been to navigate ourselves through Romans 8, to know that these words have changed the lives of many men and women, old and young, all throughout history, and that they continue to change people's lives today. And so God, my prayer is that folks would leave here transformed, renewed, restored. They would walk out of here with a boldness in their step, one that says that I am a child of God. And that one day, Jesus will return to make all things new again. And we will enjoy you forever. That is our prayer. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.